0: Hey, waiter, there's a fly in my soup is possibly one of the oldest jokes with hundreds of variations to it. Not quite as funny is when a clinician calls the laboratory and announces, Hey, micro, there's a yeast in my culture. But now, as with the fly joke, there are a number of varieties of yeast genera and species, and its significance in different specimens may also vary. So, today's episode of Microbe Mail and Let's Talk Micro is focused on the different yeasts and how they are identified in various specimens. So this is Microbe Mail, and I am your host, Vindana Chibabai. But we've got a special guest today. And before I introduce my guest, you may have noticed that my voice doesn't quite sound as it normally does. I've been down with an upper respiratory tract infection these last few days and haven't really managed to kick it yet. I'm so super excited to be hosting a fellow microbiology podcaster from all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. Luis Plaza is the host of the podcast, Let's Talk Micro. Luis, welcome to Microbe Mail, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself as well as a little bit about your show.
1: Well, definitely, you know, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Vindana, for having me. It's, you know, it's great, finally, nice to meet you and be, you know, talking to you you know, I've been doing this for two years. I posted recently and I seen your podcast around and we have talked, I listened to your episodes. So it's great to be doing this. So definitely thank you for taking the time, especially when you're a little bit under the weather. So I hope you pull through this and, and feel better. So for the listeners out there, but yeah, my name is Luis Plaza. I have a podcast called Let's Talk Micro. I'm a, a medical laboratory scientist in microbiology. Other parts of the world, you know, it's called a biomedical scientist. And we just, you know, we work with samples in the clinical laboratory and then, you know, we play them, we do cultures, we find out basically if there's an organism that's causing that disease and we test for susceptibilities if indicated. I started this with the goal of sharing information. I'm also learning myself, you know, over my career. Sometimes I I experience a little bit of roadblocks when it comes to learning and. So basically what I want to do is, okay, I learned this either by researching or talking to someone, and I'm going to put it on this platform. So you can go ahead and learn also yourself, you know, it will make us better in our jobs. And also you put it in a format that is just easy to listen. You can be doing anything, right? Any chores like laundry, cooking, and then a 20, 30 minute episode. And you get, you know, some good information.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So yours was a pandemic baby. Let's talk micro.
1: It actually, uh, yes. I will say, well, I I started in May of 2021. So it was a year after everything hit. Uh, But I had the idea for a while. It was just sometimes, you know, the getting around to it. Yes. Um, You know, doing the research. And then maybe sometimes, you know, I Google how to start a podcast. And maybe you're busy. And it's like, okay. It looks a little difficult, (laughs) but once I took the time, it's not difficult. It's just, you know, it's a little bit time consuming. So you have to be committed to doing it. Yes. But overall, it was great. At the time, I was kind of, you know, working between two different jobs. And it was also a way to continue reinforcing the knowledge. Yes. So I started and then just very happy and continue doing it. Like I said, when I introduced myself two years later.
0: And you're doing a great job of it. I I thoroughly enjoy listening to your episodes as well. So before we head into this episode, just a couple of reminders for our listeners. Remember to sign up for updates on the Microbe Mail website. You can subscribe to both the shows on your favorite podcast player. If you haven't yet rated Microbe Mail or Let's Talk Micro on your pod player of choice yet, please go ahead and do so and follow both the shows on social media. I know. Let's talk micro is on Instagram as well as on Twitter. MicroMail is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well, and you can contact both Microbe Mail and Let's Talk Micro on the email addresses provided in the show notes. And last but not least, please share MicroMail and Let's Talk Micro with your friends, colleagues, co-workers, and students. Okay, Louise, you ready to talk about yeasts in culture? Yes, I am. Awesome. So first question, can you tell us in which scenarios or clinical specimens the laboratory would try and culture yeasts? Well,
1: in in the laboratory, uh, typically we try to culture yeast in samples that are, they include, you know, sterile body fluids or samples that are product from like a surgical intervention. So our sites that are normally sterile in nature. Mm -hmm. So... You know, the way here that we do it typically, you know, so you get your bacterial culture, but a lot of the yeast that we'll be talking about, you know, like Candida, they definitely grow in your regular blood, chocolate, and even Mm agar. So you will see some of those when you're working the cultures. In addition to that, they order, if they're looking for a yeast or, so they will order a fungal culture with Mm -hmm. a little more specialized media to help detect uh, those. But like I mentioned, some of these, if You're working on a on a on a hospital, and even if you don't have a mycology department, so you just basically stick to bacterial cultures, they will grow on your media. So you need to be familiar with them that way, you know, you can properly identify them.
0: So that's quite an important point that you make there, that it's going to grow even if you haven't specifically requested fungal culture. Um, but in those little scenarios here and there where it's not that easy to grow. It's useful to let the laboratory know that you're suspecting fungi so that they can add the additional media. Just out of interest, what additional media do your laboratories use? So in our laboratories here in South Africa, we usually have access to dextrose agar. Um, that's our typical yeast agar. What do you use on your side?
1: Yes, we know we definitely have that one. And then we we have um Candida Agar, which mm-hmm. is like a um, like a chromagar, right. so you know I have talked about that before in my episodes. So just to put it very simple, for you know if you're a student or you're not too familiar with it, you know it's just basically you know it's an agar you put your sample there or you can sub your organism and then it reacts with the medium and you will get a color. So that's very popular with you know especially when we are in the in the cultures that I mentioned that that if we're suspecting a yeast or you know, we're looking at that initial gram stain and we see, okay, you know, two plus yeast was seen, was seen, but I'm really, all I'm seeing is just maybe this gram negative, this gram positive organisms. So we'll go ahead and grab that candida agar and grab the original sample and subculture it to it
0: right. to
1: see if we can actually retrieve that agent. But those are, we also have uh, a sabros dextrose, a sabdex, that also has a brain heart infusion
0: yes. with it. right.
1: So those are the, the ones that we use.
0: Okay, great. So fairly similar. Um, there's some private laboratories in South Africa that are using the Chrome Mega. Um, and we recently evaluated it in our laboratory. You need to have a pretty good sense of, of color detection for some of the to identify um, the different ones. It probably comes with experience.
1: <laughs> oh so up until now you it wasn't used in your in your laboratory?
0: The Chrome No. We mm-hmm. didn't have access to it until until very recently.
1: Okay. Yeah, you know, now that we're talking about this, it's always interesting when you talk to microbiologists from other parts, you know, of different parts of the world or areas. Like you always see, right? Sometimes you know we have this stuff, and then we think that maybe everyone uses them.
0: That's true. And as you
1: talk, and we become aware, okay, it's something that not not everyone does. Uh, but that's good, you know. I think it's very it's very helpful. And and some yeast, you know, like a uh, Candida glabrata, like if you have it on a blood agar. It grows small, it grows like a more pinpoint, but you put it on the Scandi Dagger and definitely grows stronger. True. So it will help you on if you're using an identification method where you need a suspension or like a very heavy suspension, a heavy McFarland standard. So it will help you, you know, if you don't have Malditoff. So it's definitely very helpful in those cases.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. So then this concept of there's a fly in my soup came up um, <laughs> because often we'll get yeasts growing in clinical specimens. And in many cases, there are either contaminants or, or colonizers. And we'll get a panicked clinician picking up the phone and saying, but there's a yeast and there's a candida that's growing in the specimen. Oh my goodness, what should I do? Um, you know, And that's really what sparked the idea for this episode. So can you tell us, which yeast or which specimens you would consider a yeast to be a contaminant or a colonizer or not necessarily all that significant.
1: Well, definitely, you know, samples from a, from a respiratory nature, um, you know, when we have sputums or so those, and I know that sometimes, you know, it causes a little bit of hesitance with the text because you're seeing mm. something growing on your plate. And then you're trained, especially like, right, you're thinking body fluid. You're thinking blood, which is also another one from blood cultures. So you're thinking, okay, I'm seeing something grow on this plate and I'm letting it go as as normal flora. Mm-hmm. So, in sites like that. But then when it comes to like patients from cystic fibrosis, you know, we do, you know, work those up. But in just regular sputum samples, we just, you know, uh, it, was, it will get released as um, oropharyngeal flora. And even from the gram stain standpoint, if you're seeing yeast and samples like that, it just gets reported as oropharyngeal flora present or seen.
0: Yes. And in fact, that that's the one situation where the clinicians often phone in a panic state. It's a sputum specimen. Is it a candidate ammonia? <laughs> so true. It's, it's generally a colonizer contaminant from the upper respiratory tract during collection of the specimen, in fact.
1: Yes. And, and sometimes, you know, it makes it, and I can see it's also with the the physician, because, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, but sometimes, you know, depending on what kind of instrument, instrumentation you have, you know, when it comes to identifying the, you know, the yeast or the, the lab is not even able to identify it, it might have to be sent out to another place. Right. So a physician also can, okay, I'm not seeing an ID. I saw maybe something was seen on the, on the Gram stain. So what is it? And then it? the delay where you're sending it out to get tested, if, to get identified. So yeah, I can see that scenario.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, what are the common yeasts that one would isolate in a clinical specimen? And can you tell us a little bit about each of these genera?
1: Yeah, certainly. So definitely, you know, candida. That's just the the one that you will see the most in all your samples. And you will encounter from from those that you, you know, like from the blood, the body fluids that I mentioned. But definitely overall you will see it on a lot of types of, you know, of wound cultures. Uh, you will see it in urine samples as well. So very classic morphology, right? So we said, you know, a little, we call it the feet, right? So very classic, typically some some places, you know, will presumptively identify it based on that. Um, so that one, you will definitely see it a lot. It's very common. And of course, you know, just, you know, you can see it in like, you know, the thrush, which is an infection of the mucous membranes of the mouth. Another one that you can see is Candida tropicalis definitely uh candida glabrata which i mentioned Mm -hmm. and you can see that one in urinary tract infections and also you know parapsilosis uh which you know that you can also see it there and all those that they grow definitely very well on your chrome agar that i mentioned depending on which manufacturer you have typically you know like on the one that we have which is the cad 2 agar, your candida albicans is blue your tropicalis is pink um parapsilosis is just just white you can also see so albicans tropicalis glabrata, parapsilosis overall you know candida you can see it in fungemia utis and endocarditis and other times you can see it in meningitis and of course you know to a lesser extent with the candida general but you uh can see candida ores which is definitely you know as it will say you know trending in media yeah and then we also have, um, you know, Cryptococcus. Definitely, you know, Cryptococcus neoformans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, right, a big player in meningitis. So, it's in, you know, compromised patients. For the techs out there, you know, biomedical scientists, medical lab scientists, you know, it tends to be mucoid, so it's a it's a slow grower. So, if you have that CSF, you know, that CSF culture, you're working on your on your regular, you know, culture. It was seen in the, in the Gram stain can take up to three days to grow. And then, you know, we have malasia a little bit less common, but it can be seen in dermatological diseases.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that one to keep in mind, it grows with lipids. So if you're learning about it, sometimes, you know, with the Molotov, we had a very weak colonies that we can set it up and identify mm-hmm. it. But then, you know, if you add that layer of, vol- of olive oil, it will grow much stronger. Mm. And then we have uh, rhodotorula, the orange red colonies, Trichosporon, and saccharomyces, which is an emerging pathogen, you know, definitely seen in fungal blood infections Yes. Uh, with risk factors, you know, immunosuppressed, ICU patients, central catheters.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think we kind of see very similar pathogens um, on your side and ours. definitely candida auris trending. Um, has become the second most common cause of candidemia in South Africa. So very, very common. And then I'm sure you know that cryptococcus neoformans is, is, as you say, a huge player in meningitis, especially in sub-Saharan Africa. So yeah, absolutely. We see a lot of it. Good point about it being a slow grower. So don't, don't throw out your cultures too soon, particularly from a CSF.
1: Yeah, you know, and something very interesting with cryptococcus that we do very popular where we do like an antigen test, so sometimes you know the tests they might not like it because if you get a positive, you know you have to do a tighter and that's time consuming. And the way that you know we like to say the planets align and life happens, <laughs> you get this at the end of your shift, so it's like, oh, well, let me run this Candida, uh, this uh, Cryptococcus, real quick, and typically they're negative, and then all of a sudden here you go, an extra fifteen minutes or whatever, just doing the
0: just doing the titers, but yeah, they don't.
1: People don't like it in the lab, yeah.
0: No, that's true. Okay, so I'm so interested to hear from you, Luis, about what are the common methods that you use to identify yeasts that have been cultured in clinical specimens. So you've already talked a little bit about the chrome agar, you've briefly touched on the Muldy but I'm 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 really excited to hear what you have access to, um, whether you have access to things like molecular diagnostics, et cetera, compared to what we might have here in South Africa.
1: Um, yes. So definitely for blood cultures. So we have um. this is from, um, we have uh, the Eplex uh, bcid FP panel. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know, typically, you know, if I mention a test or a sample, right, I always like to check the audience, you know, we're not like the, those companies, you know, they're not sponsoring us. It's just I'm mentioning the test and I'm talking about it. So mm-hmm. a little disclaimer, but. So that one, you know, the eplex, and it can actually, I wrote down the ones that it can identify. Mm-hmm. So it can do Candida albicans, Aurest, Dublinensis, uh, Formata, Glabrata, girmundi, Kefir, Cruzii, Lustani, Parapsilosis, um, Cryptococcus gatti, Neoformans, Fusarium, and Rotorula.
0: Wow. That's, that's an extensive panel. Is this a molecular test, the e Yes.
1: Yes. It's a PCR, so... It's very easy to set up, you know, once you, you have your either your fungal blood culture bottle
0: mm-hmm.
1: or like I mentioned before, you know, this will flag on your regular blood culture bottles, you know, for the audience out there. You, you have that set where you have the aerobic, anaerobic. So once your system is positive, you do a gram stain, you see that yeast, you go ahead and we go ahead and set it up on this panel. Mm-hmm. Very easy to set up. You know, we just get an aliquot and it's like a little cassette. So we just put it on out there put it there and things like about it's less than two hours that you get an actual result.
0: That's amazing. So directly from the positive bottle, you don't even need to wait for a culture. Uh,
1: no, That's no, we brilliant. just go ahead and yeah. Nowadays, you know, with the supply shortages that we experience, every now and then mm-hmm. we might encounter roadblocks where maybe we don't get it off or they're on back order. Mm-hmm. But when we do have enough on hand, there's, you know, it's always really good and very convenient to have Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's the system before we used to do uh the was it the the luminex but now we've just been using this gem mark so that's when it comes to that and then when it comes to now you know it's growing on the plate mm-hmm. and you're gonna do an id so we actually you know we have the Vitek yeast card yes and then we you know very definitely very popular and then we also have the Vitek ms
0: okay so you would start with your Eplex, and then follow that up with the yeast, um, either the Vitic MS or the Vitic yeast card, That's the two options.
1: Yes, correct. So once, yeah, we definitely once we get the plates, you know, like especially you know our lab is very large, so it's, you know you have two sections. So the section where they're reading the blood cultures and they do the initial plating, you know, plate setup where. In this case, you know, if you see a yeast, our standard setup is normally you know you have your blood, chocolate, and Mac, and then we add the candida out of our
0: plate.
1: Okay. So once you know it gets to the bench where it, where it is red, then yeah, we see the the organism and then we confirm the ID based on the yeah, base. So we use the typically mostly the MS. Right. Um, yeah, the so right now with the with us having the MS, the the yeast card is more of a, of a backup.
0: Backup. So it's very similar in our setting. So we don't have the eplex, so we don't have any molecular diagnostic tool available. So once we've got yeast on a blood culture bottle, we'll wait for growth. As soon as we've got growth, we'll put it up on the VITEC MS. And if it fails on the VITEC MS, as you say, very similarly, we'd put it up on a yeast card on the VITEC um, as a backup. So quite quite similar, except that you've got very exciting multiplex PCR available. And it sounds like a quite an extensive panel, which is really great.
1: Uh yeah, it is in this lab. I, I mean I worked before with um, yeah, it's definitely out of the ones that are there, I believe, it definitely have it has quite a bit of targets.
0: Yeah.
1: So, but yeah, we just then after that with the MS and which has, you know, as you know, typically it's, it has a little, an extra step where you add the formic acid and then put mm. the colonies there. So that's one of the things that you have to make sure when you work in these organisms, you know, don't forget to add the matrix.
0: Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: So if you're stepping away, leave a note, and that's how, how we typically do it. Um, you know, we start our yeast first and then if they haven't dried yet, you know, we leave a note saying, go ahead and add the, the matrix. Yeah. But wait, if it fails, it's not because of an user error.
0: Yeah. And also you've got to emulsify quite carefully when you're, when you're doing yeast on the MS as well, because if you don't, if you're not, if you're rushing, um, then you can get failed IDs. Yes, definitely. So then moving on to antifungal susceptibility testing, Luis, um, can you talk us through which samples you would perform susceptibility testing on? What drugs you would typically test for? Um, And for which samples is it important to actually report the antifungal susceptibility test results and which ones are not so important?
1: So definitely uh, blood cultures. So those are the um, very important ones, you know, blood cultures and body fluids, you know, sterile body fluids. Mm -hmm. So those are, you know, they're also considered critical results. So the moment that you, I mean, on the blood, when you detect someone, you make the phone call initially. So this is more of when you're working on the bench. So if you see that a yeast is actually growing on on those type of sources, you will go ahead and make a phone call and and follow your callback procedure where you document who you talk to. Mm -hmm. So those samples, you know, either on the fungal culture with the fungal plates or you're you're recovering it from your bacterial uh, culture, um, those you go ahead and, and do susceptibilities on them and then we report them. So as of right now, we have two systems. We have the Vitec, uh, uh, the YS09 card. Mm-hmm. So we do susceptibilities. Uh, that one right now with our volume and with the other method that I'm going to talk about in a minute. So it's it's also more of a backup. Or maybe if you have a request to do susceptibilities on sources that we normally don't do them on. Mm. Um, so that one tests for uh, casperfungin, fulconosol, fulcitosine, mycofungin and Voriconazole. Okay. And then we have the we do broth microdilution, okay, and that one. So, like I said, you know that's the most common one that we're using. And then that one is just it tests for it has caspofungin, micafungin, anidolifungin, fluconazole, itraconazole, voriconazole, posaconazole, isavuconazole, wow, amphotericin B, and full cytosine.
0: This is manual broth microdilution. In a routine lab?
1: Uh, yes, correct. I mean, yeah, we, so the the setup is actually, uh, you know, fairly simple, right? So we make a, you know, originally make our suspension with the yeast broth, and then we transfer an amount, actually make a suspension with water, and then we transfer to the yeast broth, and then we have an automated dispenser. Okay. So it will just release 100 microliters to each of the wells, including the control. And then it takes, you know, we incubate it for 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And then we just, yeah, we have to manually click on the, on the, you know, on the MICs. Yes. And then we report those. But yeah, it's, it's it definitely has a lot of, you know, a lot of drugs and it's not really yeah. labor intensive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's an extensive list of antifungal agents that you're testing for. And you don't do the gradient strips or e-tests for any of the antifungals?
1: Um No, no, oh. actually no. Yeah, I mean, no, no, I mean, it's, we're constantly, you know, bringing new things and stuff. Yes. But as of right now, yeah, the broth micro dilution has been, we've been doing that for a couple of years, I believe. And it quickly transitioned, right, from the, from some of the, they put the the Vitec card on the back of method. You okay. Know, sometimes, especially if our moldy go, sorry, if we run out of, uh, you know, sensitizers. Yes. Uh, Or things like that, then we, we use the Vitec card. And like I was telling you know, the audience too, so so typically you can have in the lab someone calls and then you report that you saw yeast and let's say in urine culture and the physician calls and say, hey, I'm requesting, you know, can I get susceptibilities mm. on this? Let's say candida albicans, for example. And then in cases like that, that's when we go ahead and do the VITEK card.
0: Okay. So you get a more rapid result for them while you're waiting for the broth. Okay. That absolutely yes. makes sense. So the difference on our side is that our first point of call would be the Vita card. So I don't think we've got the YSTO 9 yet. We're still on 08, but it's fairly similar, I think, to the 09. Just thinking about the antibiotics, uh, antifungals you were mentioning now, um, not very, very different. And then we have we don't have broth microdilution micro in our routine labs. So we've got fluconazole, variconazole, um, mycophungin, and amphotericin e-tests that we use as a second one. Um, And then if we do want broth microdilution, we send that off to the reference laboratory at the NICD, um, and they'll perform that for us. So yeah, I mean, we we have access to similar things, just not necessarily all in the same lab. Okay.
1: So now I, I ask, because I, I haven't worked with the E-tests before, so they, they normally work very well? Like you get enough growth and everything works pretty well?
0: Yeah, they, they work fairly well. Um, They're quite easy. Well, okay, I'm saying easy to read, but easy to read when you're experienced, especially with the azoles. Um, remember, because there you're looking for 80% inhibition and not 100% inhibition. So when you're reading mycafungin and amphotericin B, that's fairly easy because you're looking at 100% inhibition, but you really need to be quite careful and very experienced to properly read the E tests because you will get a little bit of growth even in the area of the ellipse, and you need to be able to differentiate between what is 80% growth versus what was 20% growth. Yeah, but once you've been trained and you've had a bit of experience um, reading them then they're, they're fairly decent the growth on the plates is is remarkably good um, so that's not really a problem and i
1: asked this because i like i said i haven't worked with them before but so what kind of uh where do you what kind of agar do you use for when you're, you're doing we use
0: rpmi media now I've just completely hit a blank and I cannot for the life of me remember what the RP and M and the I actually stand for, but we use RPMI media, which is special media for, for antifungal susceptibility testing. I'm assuming it's similar to the broth that's required for the broth microdilution. It's probably RPMI broth that's that's used for the for broth microdilution.
1: Yeah, I will definitely research this and, and look it up so I can. Learned that's something, yeah, that I haven't worked before, and it's pretty, yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing learning about this. But you do the same, um, same, same sources, basically, or does anything else that that will physicians request or?
0: Yeah, generally sterile sites. We try not to do antifungal susceptibility testing on non-sterile sites. So if we did it for non-sterile sites, it would basically be urines from catheterized patients perhaps in an ICU where it might be significant. That's really, I mean, that's really the only, the only situation I can think of where we would do it on a non-sterile specimen everywhere else. Any other isolate is regarded as a colonizer or a contaminant really. Yeah. So fairly similar.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We do sometimes, you know, we get a lot of requests and to do other stuff. So it's just, you kind of get familiar with the physician and as you're reporting something you know oh the, i know this is going to come back and yeah because you know people kind of just set them up just in case and when they do that they end up being right because you do get that request and okay you kind of save a save a day but you know as we're talking about ids and susceptibilities and i mentioned some some places they don't even have the means and i have worked in labs like that mm-hmm. where there was there wasn't even a yeast card or anything it's just they will just presumptively identify Candida albicans, and and that's it. And then if anything else, it will have to be sent out. So yeah, it's always yeah, it's it was definitely different for me, and maybe a little bit shocking because I went from a large facility at one time to a smaller one, mm. and then I went back to the larger one. So just learning how different you know labs and what things they do.
0: So that's that's an interesting point Luis, because you know a few years ago when Candida auris emerged um, in South Africa you know we looked at all the laboratories in the country and how people identified um yeasts and there were in fact a lot of laboratories that would from non-sterile specimens especially either identify Candida albicans and anything else that wasn't albicans was just regarded as non-albicans candida and, you know, from an infection prevention and control perspective, that wasn't helpful because you didn't know whether you were missing Candida auris. Um, This was also before all of the laboratories uh, managed to get Vitex systems in. So now that everyone's got a Vitex system, there is at least the means to be able to identify all, all yeasts. Whereas before the older systems, I'm not sure if you had these older systems um, in your laboratories as well. We used to use the API Oxocolors colors and, and and those identification systems, which it would have completely missed um Candida auris.
1: You know, I am familiar with the API system, but we only use it uh for the enterobacterali. So it was just the API uh, 20E, and mm. that was it. And we used it for a few years, but basically as soon as we got our molding tool, then that yeah. one completely went away. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I like that point that you say, even if you know, most places do have a Vitex. So at the very least you have the the means uh yeah to you know be able to identify them so what it takes is doing you know your validation and getting your samples and but that's you know another conversation but the potential is there
0: absolutely yeah absolutely louise so louise that actually brings us to the spotlight feature of this episode and today I've got a riddle for you along the theme of mycology. So not completely off of course. <laughs> um, and my new favorite thing these days is to ask Chat GPT to write the riddles for me just because I've become quite lazy <laughs> to do them myself. So I put in a little thing to say, write me a riddle where the answer is so and so. And then it puts together a really nice riddle for me. Um, so you can tell me at the end of this riddle what the either the infectious syndrome or you can tell me what um what type of mold causes this infection the are you ready
1: uh yes yes i am i haven't i haven't never i've never used a chat g p t before so it is interesting
0: yeah it's it's my new favorite little toy i think, <laughs> so the mischievous mold that loves your toes bringing redness, scaling, and unbearable woes. Lab tests can reveal its sneaky presence as scientists examine skin scrapings with diligence. So beware of this foot-invading guest. Wearing damp socks, it feels quite blessed. But fear not, with treatment, you'll win the fight. And bid adieu to it with all your might. So, who do you think that is? Is it Tinea? Yep. <laughs> <I'm waiting. laughs> tinea pedis. So the tinea one that's pedis, on the yes. foot is tinea pedis.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Commonly caused by the group of dermatophytes which are a nasty bunch to try and identify in the lab- laboratory, especially phenotypic identification is quite quite tricky. And yes,
1: and uh, and uh yeah, typically when uh you design, you know, there's a word that designs, you know, it's for the site that words happening. So like you said, you know, tinia is food, you know, and then you have crudus, capitus. Yes,
0: exactly. Anyway, Louise, do you have any last comments on the microbiology of yeasts that you'd like the listeners to know about?
1: Um, just you know, definitely like I you know, like I mentioned, when you are working the cultures, and you might be in a place where you know, especially nowadays with the volumes so mycology, you know, a lot of times, you know, it's it's especially here in the States, you know, in large facilities, it tends to be more compartmentalized. But you will see this in your regular culture. So even if you don't work with that fungal media a lot and you don't process those cultures, they will definitely be on your blood, your chocolate. And definitely, you know, sometimes, you know, some species of candida that will grow on your McConkie. So that's mm-hmm. something to think about. Mm. If you're just learning to read cultures, don't assume that because it's on your MacConkey, you know it's a gram-negative rod. That's just something very wrong to do. Always, you know, gram stain. And mm. I have seen cases where, you know, you see something maybe growing on your Mac. They set it up. The instrument will give you an ID because that that happens. You have some default IDs when the instrument doesn't know what to do based on the reactions. Mm. So here you're going down a very wrong path so definitely be aware so know your media and be aware that you you know you will see the most of these in your in your routine cultures
0: yeah and as you say go back to the basics always start with a gram stain that often will give you the answer
1: definitely uh yeah it just you know it sometimes it becomes harder for people with you know with the tough and things like that yes. and that's such a subject that i definitely talk a lot about because you know something as simple as a gram stain it's being lost is not being done because you have an instrument that yes can give you the answer
0: yeah
1: but many things can go wrong uh, with that so just those simple you know quote unquote old school techniques they're very helpful they give you a lot of information
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they can prevent you from making an error that can potentially, you know, affect your patient.
0: Absolutely. No, those are great words, Luis. So thank you so much for joining me on Microbe Mail today. And it was so good to have you on the show. And I hope we'll be able to do this again sometime soon.
1: Well, definitely my pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me.
0: It's a pleasure, Luis. So until next time, that's it from me, Vin, your Microbe Messenger, and Luis. Yeah,
1: thank you. So hope you enjoyed this episode.
0: And the rest of the mail team will see you again soon with more contagious mail.